0: morning. Great to see all of you here this morning. I'm going to get rid of the elephant in the room right away. Okay. Why am I wearing a mask? Because a mandate came down Thursday that said if you're speaking from a pulpit or a stage, you need to wear a mask. And uh, given that you're so close, I can see why that... uh, but that's, the, that's what came down. Uh, last week I didn't wear anything, but uh, that changed Thursday, so I'll be wearing a mask. And uh, just to give you an explanation of why, uh, and there may be some adjustments that we can make uh, by next week, there may not be, but getting it Thursday late, finding out, we thought we might be able to wear a clear one, but that it has to be cloth. So anyway, that's what we're doing today, just an explanation. Second thing I want to bring up is, I mentioned Santa Claus and Mrs. Santa Claus salt and pepper shakers last week. And I came up to the pulpit this morning. I love it. I love a kitschy Christmas, I really do. And I ought to know better because every time I mention something that I'd like, I get it, you know, and uh, so I got to be careful. But whoever did this, thank you so much. I really do. They're going on the dining room table as soon as we get home. Um, The third thing is, I got a sign from the Lord this morning. Um, About eight or nine years ago, I bought a watch, a little Timex. It cost me $8. $8. And I used it last week to time my sermon. sermon. And as I was brushing my teeth this morning, I looked down and the watch stopped. It was broken. I think that's a sign. That there is no time limit this morning. No? Okay. I thought I'd give it a try. I'm going to put Santa and Mrs. Santa in my pocket here so I don't forget. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for, um, what Dylan, I, this, the oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Oh, Lord, thank you for coming here. Thank you, Jesus, that you clothed yourself with human flesh and, um, and then took on our sins, our transgressions, and bore them so that we could be free from guilt and sin and condemnation. And, um, to sit here in this, uh. This room, and, and to know that, uh, uh, that we're free from sin, from guilt, and from, uh, from an eternity in hell. But we're going to a place that is unspeakably glorious, all because Jesus, you came to this earth and took our place on the cross. And there's no value that we can put on that. We just want to say thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for that. And thank you for the word of God that you gave us to keep us close to you until that day comes when we go to be with you. Breathe on it, Lord. Touch us with it. We ask it in your name. Amen. Um, Greg Laurie is one of my favorite preachers. I don't know. Does anybody know who Greg Laurie is? Yeah. Uh, he's just a great guy. And uh, he has a daily devotional online. And on Tuesday, he had a daily devotional and he shared this story. Um, I'm not sure, I want to share it with you. A husband and wife uh, went Christmas shopping at the mall, and the husband wandered off, so his wife called him and asked where he he was. And uh, he said, well, remember that jewelry store we went to 10 years ago? The husband asked. He saw that beautiful diamond necklace, and I said, I couldn't afford it then, but one day, when I had a little bit more money, I would buy it for you. Yes, I remember his wife said, trying to catch her breath, Well, I'm at the donut store next door to it. (laughs) Suffice to say that her excitement and anticipation quickly disappeared. And Lori comments on that story, and he says, as the Christmas season descends, we're seeing countless commercials of things we're supposed to buy. The implied promise is that if you give this or if you receive that, then you'll be happy. Certainly, there's a rush of excitement in receiving a very special gift. But for the most part, you probably can't remember what you got for Christmas last year, even though it seemed so important then. Christmas, commercially at least, cannot live up to the promises, to the standards we've set in our minds. At best, Christmas is a promise of greater things to come. However, it's not Christmas that will give us life, it's Christ. My job for these three weeks in this series is to get you more excited about Christmas than you've ever been. Um, it's important for us to get our focus on the right meaning of Christmas. Because any other kind of Christmas never really will meet our expectations. It just won't. That's why we need to focus on Christ and his amazing birth. And that's, why, again, why we're doing this three-week series on the virgin birth. Um, I want to review a little bit before we get into our text today, which is in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. That'll be the text for the three weeks that we're in this series. Part 1 dealt with the priority of the virgin birth. The priority of the virgin birth. Let's read about that here in verse, verses, uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, And she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. The priority of the virgin birth. We talked about that last week. And here it is, in a nutshell. If Christ is who he claimed to be, the payment for the sins of the world on the cross, the God-man-redeemer... He had to be virgin born. For without a virgin birth, there'd be no uh, perfect conception. Without a perfect conception, there'd be no perfect blood. Without perfect blood, there'd be no perfect atoning death on the cross. Without no uh, perfect atoning death on the cross, there would be no perfect salvation. And if we didn't have perfect salvation, there would be no perfect resurrection. That's the why of the virgin birth. If Jesus was not virgin born, he was not God. And if he was not God, he would have a sinful nature. He wouldn't have bypassed it. And if he had a sinful nature, then he would have sinned like all of us. And the sacrifice for our sins was absolutely meaningless. It's all a charade. It's a, it's a fable. It's a joke. A fraud. That's why the virgin birth is such a priority. Now next week in the third part of this series, we're going to look at the how. How did the virgin birth happen in verses 35 and following here? This week we're going to deal with the who, what, and when of the virgin birth. That is the prophecy of the virgin birth found in Isaiah chapter 7:14. Okay? The prophecy of the virgin birth found in Isaiah 7:14. And it's a part of what's called the Messianic Prophecies. The Messianic Prophecies, which is an exciting thing to study at Christmas time. It ought to give us a spring in our step, at least I hope it does, before you leave today. Messianic prophecy is fascinating, and you can hear about it often and still kind of blows your mind. Uh, let me, let me uh, share uh, a quote by Dr. Charles Ryrie on Messianic Prophecy and how exact it is, and because it's so exact, it confirms our faith. Ryrie says that by the law of chance, it would require 200 billion Earths populated with four billion people each to come up with one person who could achieve 100 accurate prophecies without any errors in sequence, and keep in mind, these were recorded anywhere from 850 to 1500 B.C., before Christ even came on the scene. But the Bible records not just 100, but over 300 prophecies fulfilled in Christ's first coming. And for my money, people, the most exciting ones, the prophecies of Christ, uh, the Messianic prophecies, 800 to 1500 years before Christ even touched his foot on the ground of this earth are the ones that combine the deity and humanity with Christ let me read a couple to you Isaiah 9 6 for under us a child is born child is born I guess all people who are born are children but for to us a child is born to us a son is given a male child is born and who's the guy described like The government will be on his shoulders. He will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, pre-existent for all eternity, equal with the Father, Adonai, Jehovah, Prince of Peace. Anybody got a clue who that is? But he's God, the God man. And then you got Micah 5-2. I don't know, that's not my all-time favorite, but it's close. But you Bethlehem Ephrathah though you are small among the clans of Judah out of you will come for me the one who will be ruler over Israel whose origins are from old from ancient times man I do not like that translation so I'm going to say it the way I like it which is the right way okay but you Bethlehem Ephrathah though you are small among the clans of Judah out of you will come out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over all Israel whose origins are from old to everlasting this person that's coming out of Bethlehem that's going to rule has always existed in eternity past but today we're going to look at maybe the best one it's hard to rate them they're so good but Isaiah 7:14 Isaiah 7:14 therefore the lord himself will give you a sign the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. A virgin will have a child who is God. Have you ever heard that song, Mary Did You Know? I, it's, it was on TV this morning. I was watching. Who was preaching? Oh, Char- David Jeremiah. And uh, they had an ensemble singing, Mary, Did You Know? I mean, you, wanna, you want your heart to jump a little bit. Look at the lyrics of that song, because she's holding God, you know, in her arms. It's, just, it's a trip. It really is. Well, let's read this. Let's read how it's used in the New Testament. So if you want to go to Matthew chapter 1, 18 through 25, where I think I had to put up on the screen. But this is how the birth of Jesus came about, says Matthew. Matthew 1, 18 through 25. She gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. That's the fulfillment of what we read in Isaiah 14, okay? Or 7, verse 14, in the New Testament. So what we're going to do is look at some aspects of that prophecy, and then we're going to draw two life lessons that you can put in your hip pocket and take out of here for the week. Sound okay? Am I coming through with this thing on? All right. So the title of the message today is The Great Prophecy of the Virgin Birth, originating in Isaiah chapter 7. So I'm going to read a few verses in Isaiah 7. Isaiah 7, 8 through 14. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only Rezin. Within 65 years... Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Remaliah's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. And again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask now. The Lord is talking to Ahaz, King Ahaz, and this is what he says, verse 11: Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. Wouldn't that be cool? To have God say, Mitch, whatever you want, ask for a sign. I want the Seahawks to win today. That would be my sign, you know? Not really. Well, kind of. I mean, they really do need to win, don't they? Okay. But Ahaz, dummy, it's not in the original text, dummy, but Ahaz says, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Well, who offered him that? The Lord. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Well, let's do three, four things. First of all, let's look at the context of Isaiah 7.14. The context of Isaiah revolves around a king named Ahaz. He's the king of the southern kingdom of Judah. And according to verse 8, the northern kingdom now has 65 more years until it falls. It's called Ephraim here. The northern kingdom is living on borrowed time. The southern kingdom knows it and Ahaz is scared spitless. There's a coalition of forces coming against him, and he's afraid that Judah's going to fall, and he's scared that there will no longer be the people of God. And though he has not lived in any sense of the word a perfect life, he suddenly finds himself panicked before Almighty God, and he has a visit from the prophet Isaiah on behalf of God. In verse 11, speaking through Isaiah, the Lord says to Ahaz, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. May it be as deep as the deepest depths or as high as heaven. That is, God comes and he graciously encourages this king by saying, Judah is not finished. I still have a plan for my people. Now let me prove to you how powerful I am as your God. Ask me any miracle or sign for yourself, uh, a sign for yourself that that you want. Take your pick. And in a moment of weirdness, Or sudden piety, or stupidity, or whatever it is. Ahaz does not take God up on that. He doesn't want to look presumptuous. Ahaz says, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. I'm just going to go sideways here for a second. When God offers a promise, take it, take it in faith. You're reading through the Bible in your devotional or God by the Holy Spirit talks to you directly in your spirit and he offers you an answer, a direction, a promise. Grab it. Don't be bashful. Take it. Reminds me of the story about ice. In the early days of our country, a weary traveler came to the banks of the Mississippi River and he had... He came there for the first time, and there was no bridge, and it was winter, and the surface of the Mississippi River at that place was covered with ice. Could he dare cross over? Would the uncertain ice be able to bear his weight? Night was falling. It was urgent that he got across the frozen river to get to the other side. And finally, after just hesitating and with a lot of fear, he began to creep on his hands and knees Cautiously across the surface of the ice, and you thought that he might, dis- if he just distributed his weight well, he might keep the ice from breaking beneath him. How many people grew up in the Midwest or where it was really cold? You know the sound of cracking ice when you're going across a creek or crick or whatever you call it. And uh, I grew up in central to northern Michigan, and. I know the sound of cracking ice. Got to be real careful. About halfway over, he heard the sound of singing behind him. And out of the dust, there comes a man driving a team of horses with a huge load of coal across the ice and singing merrily as he was going across the river. And here he was on his hands and knees, shaking in fear that the ice wasn't going to be strong enough to keep him Uh, from drowning and it says here in this story and there as if whisked away by the winter wind went the man his horses his sleigh his load of coal upheld by the same ice he was creeping on you know God doesn't want you to creep on the ice when he gives you a promise he wants you to get your team of horses and your sleigh or whatever he was using it for load it with coal Sing to the top of your voice that God's faithful to his promises. Anyway, getting back to Isaiah. Isaiah says, Listen now, O house of David. Is it too slight a thing for you to try the patience of men that you will try the patience of my God as well? The king is declaring before the people, Who are we to presume on God that we should ask such a thing? And so right on the heels of that rejection, the prophet comes forth, Isaiah, with a prediction. He says, okay, you're not going to ask God. God's going to give you something. He'll give you a sign. Since you choose to reject this offer from God, he himself will give you a whammy. Okay. He'll prove to you that my people, my people Israel will not be annihilated that I have a plan for them, for the future. A wonderful plan. The dynasty of David is not doomed. It will continue. By the way, may I say this? COVID or any other of its restrictions or anyone or anything else will never kill the church. Ever. The church will never die. In fact, in Matthew 8, 16, 18, Jesus says, the gates of hell will not overcome the church. The church and its gospel are not going anywhere. They're here to stay. Just remember that when everybody's going all flutter, you know. So that's the context. Let's go to the confirmation of the virgin birth that we get in Isaiah seven fourteen. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now, I'm going to get into a little of the word study here, the etymology. Hang with me here. It's worth remembering this and hanging in with me to get through this point. The definite article is used here the virgin, not a virgin, the virgin. The definite article individualizes Mary, it sp- has a specializing force. And so the virgin here is from God's point of view, the virgin. The one out of all humanity that's different. The one who is in contradistinction to all the other virgins born and who we discover is Mary, the highly favored one of Luke 1.28. The virgin will be with child and bear a son and she will call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Now, the storm center in Isaiah 7 is the word virgin. That's what is the storm center of Isaiah 7. I mean, there's some good stuff here, like I mentioned earlier, with uh, the combination of God and man. Son, Emmanuel. Okay? Son, human, Emmanuel, God. That's cool. That's great. Awesome. But the word that we've got to get straight is the word virgin. And the New English Bible and the Revised Standard Version both translated as saying a young woman. I really, you know, in all due respect to the translators, I hate that translation. A young woman shall be with child, not virgin. But, now listen closely, because this is really important. If Isaiah had wanted to simply say that she was a young woman, the Hebrew language had a word for that. It was na'ara. It meant young woman. But he didn't use that word. He used the Hebrew word Alma, A-L-M-A. And there's no more definitive or accurate word in the Hebrew language, language to mean virgin or a young woman of marriable age than Alma. That Isaiah had in mind the word virgin is without doubt. There's no instance where it can be proven that Alma designates a young woman who is not a virgin. And Alma, in Jewish culture, almost unanimously meant young women, or, wo- yeah, young women who were virgins. James Orr, in his great book, The Virgin Birth of Christ says, in fact, all, in all the six places in which, besides this passage, the word occurs in the Old Testament, it may be contended, contended that this is the meaning. These guys are scholars they got more brains in the end of their pinky than I do in my whole head. Now we're going to go a little bit deeper before we get to our last two points and our two applications. The Hebrew, now just again, stick with me. This is not light fair, but it's important. The Hebrew term translated virgin is Alma. I've already said that. It comes from a verb that, it mean, that is Alam, A-L-A-M. That verb means to conceal or hide. Now, how could that verb have anything to do with a virgin? What is there to hide or conceal? Now the antonym or the opposite of Alam is of Olam is gala. The Hebrew word galah. I'm being easy on you because usually these words are like gala. You know. I've always said if you're gonna talk Hebrew, you gotta know how to talk and clear your throat at the same time, but anyway. Anyway, the antonym of Alam is the word galah. The opposite Hebrew term from Alam is galah, which means to uncover or not, or to remove, not to conceal. It's the opposite. That word galah is used in, rather often in the Old Testament as an idiom for uncovering one's nakedness, another term for being intimately related to the opposite sex. Now, in the 3rd century B.C., when the Hebrew Bible was translated into the Greek and called the Septuagint, isn't this exciting? Okay, I'm going to get through it. Don't worry. Called the Septuagint, about 285 B.C. Actually, it is exciting. Those brilliant Jewish scholars and rabbis, there are about 70 of them, were looking for a term that would be used in exchange for Alma, virgin, virgin, to translate into the Greek Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament Bible. They did not choose a Greek word that meant young, unmarried woman or maiden. They chose the Greek word parthenos that we talked about last week, meaning without a doubt, a virgin. And when the Spirit of God led Matthew and Luke to write these verses in the first century, the Spirit of God chose parthenos as the synonym or the exchange word for alma which meant a woman who has not uncovered herself, that is a virgin. Now, don't listen to skeptics. Don't listen to liars and cheats and uh, cultists who will say that Mary was not a virgin. She was a virgin. She had never known a man because that's what the translators did hundreds of years before Christ ever showed up on the scene. It's a miracle. It's a fulfillment of what Isaiah said. A virgin shall be with child and call his name, God with us. Alfred Edersheim, in his book, The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah, said the fact that the 70, who were the most eminent Hebrew scholars in the world, translated the word virgin is sufficient evidence that in this connection, the word could have no other meaning. Amen? Our Christianity is solid don't let any of the cults our Mormon friends or Jehovah's Witness friends or anybody else tell you differently. And so, the point is this, 800 years early, earlier before Christ came to this earth, Isaiah promises Ahaz a sign and that would be fulfilled in the centuries to come. The Davidic dynasty would keep going, the nation of Israel would not die, didn't have an immediate fulfillment but This kingdom will not die. God's plan for Judah is related to the birth of a son from a mother who will be an Alma, a virgin, never having uncovered herself. Pretty amazing. I have all sorts of quotes here that, by brilliant, guys much more brilliant than I am, that just basically repeat what I've just said. And so that's just the context and the confirmation of the virgin birth. Okay, now let's look at the chronology of the virgin birth. Isaiah 7, now you're gonna, this, this is going to be fun. Isaiah 7:14 prophesied and promised Christ's virgin birth 750 to 800 years before it even happened. And so did the other 332 messianic prophecies. I mean, what are the odds of Isaiah 7:14? 9, 6 Micah 5, 2 what are the odds that these would happen? well let me tell you since you asked what are the odds of the messianic prophecies predicted several hundred to up to 1500 years ago before Christ came Professor Peter W. Stoner Chairman of the Department of Mathematics and Astronomy at Pasadena City College and Chairman of the Science Division at Westmont College a very good friend of mine No, I'm kidding. Uh, In this book, Science Speaks says, according to one calculation, there are 332 Messianic prophecies from the Hebrew Bible, or Old Testament, which Jesus fulfilled. We find that the chance that any man might have lived down to the present time and fulfilled all eight prophecies is 1 in 10 to the 17th power. Those of you that know math, that's a lot. Stoner went on to calculate the probability of one person fulfilling 48 prophecies 1 in, 10, 1 in 10 to the 157th power. I don't have enough pages here to put all those zeros on. What about 332 prophecies? I don't even have that. But the 48 of the messianic prophecies about Jesus that were given in the, the Old Testament 8 to 1500 years prior to him ever coming to this earth just 48 of them is 1 in 10 to the 157th power. In case you were wondering, the Mega Millions jackpot in 2018 uh, had a $1.6 billion payoff and the odds of winning that one were merely 1 in 302,575,350. You have better uh, odds with the jackpot. you know. Now here's, here's what I want to say here before we go to our last point. No other faith tradition or world religion comes anywhere close to something like this i don't care if it's islam or buddhism or hinduism or mormonism whatever christianity is unique among all the world religions because of the messianic prophecies when you leave today and you go home and you look at your Christmas tree and your lights let your heart swell up with the fact that you have a faith that far surpasses any other faith in this world and I know this sounds arrogant we could say here in church because we're family we're right and there's a beauty to that isn't there we're right I'll get to that in a minute Finally, let's look at the coincidence of the virgin birth. We've seen the context in Isaiah. We've looked at the confirmation. The word in Hebrew that was translated to the Greek Septuagint and then into the English was the word for virgin, not just a young lady or anything like that. We've seen the chronology. The unbelievable odds that this could happen from one person has to be true. And then finally... The coincidence of the virgin birth. You know how many words there are in the Bible? I I looked this up, so I'm not smarter than you. Approximately 750,000 words. Now, here's the cool part. How many times is that word Alma mentioned in those 750,000 words? Anybody want to take a wild guess? Who said seven over here? Right. Right. Did I say it? Very good. Very good. Here, I'm going to give you my Santa Claus salt and pepper shakers. No. Really good. Good listening. 750,000 words, and the word Alma is mentioned seven times? What's seven in the Bible? Perfection. Completeness. There's sevens all over the Bible. There's uh, seven... The seventh day of creation. There are the seven Jewish feasts. The Holy Spirit's described as the sevenfold spirit. The, there are seven churches in Revelation. And in the Revelation, there are seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls, seven vials. And Jesus said, if we're gonna forgive someone that hurts us, we need to do it seven times, seventy times. And there's that's just a few. But Almost mentioned in Genesis, Exodus. Psalms, Proverbs, twice in the Song of Solomon and once in Isaiah, seven. What a coincidence, right? All used in the context of a virgin. Glory in the coincidence of a virgin-born son of God. That's what makes us have a great Christmas. Okay, let's, let's go to a couple of life lessons and then we'll, we'll get you out of here. <sighs> Number one, based on the fulfillment of Isaiah 7.14, I, I've already said this, but I like saying it. Based on the fulfillment of Isaiah 7.14 and the other Messianic prophecies, along with the archaeological confirmation, the bodily resurrection of Christ and all the witnesses to that, the cohesiveness and the, the inerrancy of Scripture, We can trust that Christianity above and beyond all other faith is incredibly credible. Incredible. So hold your head up high and praise Him this Christmas season. Got all the reasons in the world to do it, okay? I keep trying to dab my finger with my tongue to turn the page, and there's no tongue there to dab. That's why I brought this wet piece of paper so I could at least get the, the uh, pages turned. Okay, second and last one here. We have an incredibly credible faith. That's the first one, but listen. And be patient with me. God, second, second life lesson out of this thing is that God always keeps his promises. Always keeps his promises. Or you put it another way, God never forgets his promises, no matter how much it would seem like it. You know how often Jews prayed for the Messiah to come? How many times a day? Three. Three times a day. Three times a day. Come Messiah, come. Come today. Come Messiah, come. Come today. Come Messiah, come. Come today. today. It took a long time for that to happen. But he answered that promise. He kept it. At just the right time, Galatians 4.4 4 tells us, just the right time, politically, socially, spiritually, economically, God sends his angel, stops marrying her tracks, and says, hey, I want to use your womb for a while. Because you're a Parthenos. One who has never uncovered herself. Chosen by God. To bear the Son of the Most High. You know, in a sense, the same is true for us. God has a, listen, God has a fullness of time for every promise he has given us in the scripture. Or directly through the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's just directly. But most often from the scripture. No, what kind of promises? Are you talking about, Mitch? The promise to give us wisdom and guidance for all our decisions when we need it. That's a pretty good promise. That's, he keeps that promise. Boy, I can tell you stories. Don't have time. He promised us to encourage and comfort us in trying times. Could tell you some more stories about that one. You can't do a a variety of church work without needing peace, and encouragement, and comfort in difficult times. He promises that that he will give us peace when we're overwhelmed with stress. There's a promise in the scriptures to give us strength for whatever challenges we're facing. There's a promise in scripture that we, he will give us courage when we're filled with fear. There's promises in Scripture to show us what to do or say in difficult situations. Promises to help us deal with and control our fears. Promises to resolve our sticky situations. Promises, here's a good one, that he is always in complete control of our circumstances. That includes what's going on today. And what the key is, if you're a maturing Christian, is to find out what God's trying to do in your life in the midst of the chaos. Anyway, promises like that. Promises to us that God's in complete control. Promises that God has a purpose for everything we've gone through and are going through now. There's a purpose for it. It's a promise. Predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything into the conformity of his purpose. Promises, never to leave us or forsake us. What's our part? It's the same part that these Jews had. Trust him for that, no matter how long it takes. Because God always keeps his promises. He never forgets them. Not one. And maybe you've been praying. You're frustrated. You're praying. You need resolution. You have something you're hoping for. You're relying on God for his promises to come through for you to resolve your situation. It may seem like he's left town with no forwarding address. Yet, he has a time set, the right time. And the fulfillment of Isaiah 7.14 teaches us that he is true to all of his promises no matter how long it takes. Our part, don't doubt him. Trust him. Be faithful. Believe on him. Wait on him. And you say, "Well, it's taken so long." Well, it it may your answer from God could be illustrated by the difference in two trees. The almond tree blossoms right at the beginning of spring. Boom! It's there, blossoming. The mulberry tree waits till the very end of spring. And it might be a almond tree promise from God or a mulberry tree promise, but it's still going to be kept. If you stay faithful. It's important to understand that. God you know what? Listen, let me just from experience here. God doesn't always answer your prayers when you want to. Why him to. Is that a shock to you? That was a joke. But you know what I found? That the reason for the delays is to saddle bust, prune, splinter, break, shatter, refine, mature, and grow us spiritually then break us then remake us and then fill us up with the spirit in the interim period between the the request and the answer is God's time to do what he wants to accomplish in us he's not gone he's working just may seem like it you think Simeon and Anna in Luke chapter 2 we won't get into them they were praying their whole lives for, to see the Messiah. God gave them a promise, and Simeon says, I can die now. I've seen the Messiah. Well, it took a long time. Hannah, the same. Same is true for us. God will come through for you. Don't give up on Him. Trust Him the, over the long haul because He'll come through. Be patient. Be patient. He's reliable. We could stand on His promises. Our faith is credible. God always keeps his promises and that's the lesson we can learn from the virgin birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now if you're not a Christian here or I'm looking at a camera and I have no idea who's tuned in to Cedar Home Baptist Church this morning but if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ God has a promise for you too. You don't have to be a Christian to have a promise from God. I'll read the promise. Jesus said "I" in John 11:25, 25 I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus has promised to you, if you're not a Christian, is if you believe in him, and you repent of your sin, and you ask him to forgive you of your sin, and you believe that he was crucified for your sin and buried and raised on the third day, and that you need him for eternal life, and you ask him to come into your life and save you, the promise is, you'll live forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the virgin birth, that it's a priority, and that it's been prophesied. Thank you for the wonderful meaning of Christmas that we're looking at in this series. As we come back next week and see the power of the virgin birth, Um, help us to be in awe because five days after that, we're going to celebrate with family and friends and presents and food and all kinds of great stuff, but help what we're learning now just to completely pour through all that activity. It's not bad activity, but help help us keep its place and just bathe in the wonderful love that you had for us to send Jesus for our sins. We love you. Help us this week to just know that you're a faithful God. And all God's people said, amen. You are dismissed.